Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. heaven on earth. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we are so grateful for Ms. For Ms. Right, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles uh, this morning to the first epistle of John. Now that's toward the, uh, uh, toward the end of the New Testament, closer to the, uh, the book of Revelation there. But uh, before I begin, Charlotte, I wanted to thank you for your, your love and your generous gifts that you've given to us and the appreciation that you've shown uh, this month, this being the Pastor Appreciation uh, Month, and we, we're grateful to the Lord for bringing us here to Aliante and for the wonderful privilege of serving you, such lovely, lovely people. And so thank you so much for your love and your graciousness. And here in the book of First John, we believe that the book that bears his name, 1 John as well as 2nd and 3rd John, uh, were written by the Apostle John. And in, uh, in the third epistle, uh, he, uh, he calls himself the Elder John. And so just to give you a little historical background on this particular, uh, particular book, written by the Apostle John, now we believe that it was probably written sometime between A.D. 85 and 100. Really, it had to be before 98 because we believe that the Apostle John died around uh, A.D. 98. And uh, some scholars say it may have been written as early as A.D. 65, but sometime during the latter quarter, if you will, of the, of the first uh, century. But remember that John the Apostle, as well as the other apostles, were eyewitnesses of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the information that he shares, he shares from personal, personal contact with the Lord Jesus. And the book was written, or the letter, I guess I should say, was written to address false teachers. Now, in our Sunday school lesson this morning on Colossians, that was also one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians or the letter of Colossians to the Christians at the city of Colossae because there were false teachers always troubling the church just as in the modern age 
It's nothing new to have false teachers and false teaching. And I want to make a distinction here. Because we are imperfect, only God is perfect, we can all make mistakes. We can misquote something or um, you know, we can get something mixed up. That, that's one thing. We, we all make mistakes. But false teaching is something that is very different because it has at its root the desire to undermine the gospel message and to undermine the person of Christ. And so one of the main responsibilities of the pastor of a church is to ensure that the doctrine that is being taught is correct, that it's accurate. He bears the responsibility to ensure that the ministries of the church are God-honoring and are consistent with the Scripture. And so the Apostle John are, uh, writes to the, the, the Christians in the first century to be aware of these false teachers. And I have Gnostics up there, but there were several actually. There were the, the, the Josephs and, and various others. But the Gnostics took this position that they were this group that had this special secret knowledge, all right, that nobody else had. And there are groups like that today. They have, you know, they have an in, so to speak, on the truth that none of the other churches have. Well, God has given us his word and we all have access to that. But they believed that the body was wicked and evil. The flesh was wicked and evil. And of course, they, they base that upon how the, the scripture refers to the flesh, but, but incorrectly addressing the body. And we mentioned in Sunday school that God created us. And when he created Adam and Eve, he said, and he looked upon them and said that it was very good. Amen? However, when the scripture uses that term flesh, it's referring to a mindset of the heart attitude or the mindset that is at odds with God or that rejects God's truth. A fleshly way of thinking that is rejecting the truth of God. But these Gnostics, they believe that, um, that the body was evil. And so because the body was evil and separate from the spirit, which is holy, then you could live it any way you wanted to and it didn't matter because your body was evil anyway. And that's referred to, we've given you this as a fancy word, you know, 50 cent word called antinomianism. Antinomianism. Meaning that, yes, you could be a Christian, but you could live it any way you desire because if you're saved, well, you're saved. And you're still going to go to heaven. Nothing, nothing that you can do about it. Well, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, yes, we are saved by grace, but we also bear a responsibility to live transformed lives. And that's what, that's what John addresses in this, this book. To clearly teach and describe the Christian life. And so some of the, some of the topics that are covered in this book 
include relationships, divine, and we're going to look at that. The relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then the divine human relationship. Remember that Jesus is the God-man. He came into the human race, and we have a relationship with him, and it's a divine relationship. God the Holy Spirit comes to live and to dwell within us, and if you're a Christian, if you know Christ, as your Lord and Savior, God the Holy Spirit lives in your life, in your body. And I've said this many times before, you'll hear Christians, Lord, be with us. Well, he's already answered that prayer because he's with us. Jesus has said, and lo, I am with you always. What does that mean? Always. <laughs> Even to the end of the age. Amen. So he's with us. Ah, but the prayer should be, Lord. Make me sensitive to your presence. You see the difference there? Acknowledging that he is with us, but we need to be more sensitive to that truth. And then godly joy. Godly joy. God wants his people to be filled with joy because we find our joy in him. Not in circumstances and, and other things. Yes, there are, there are things in life that are very enjoyable. We don't deny that. But the eternal joy that the Bible speaks of is found only in Christ, the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit. And then sin. He deals with sin, the acknowledgement of sin, the nature of sin, the consequences of sin. And we see that all around the world across our own country, in our own families, and in our own lives, do we not? But then he, he quickly goes and moves and discusses forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus Christ, and we sing to him, Jesus paid it all. Amen? And the Bible teaches there is, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus Jesus is the Savior. Now, there are some groups, when they use the term Jesus only, they use that term and they misrepresent what that means or what the Bible means when it uses that term or expresses that. You see, God the Father is the Father. And God the Son, the Lord Jesus, is God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. The three are one. But Jesus is not the Father. He is God the Son. It's very important. Now, the names we use synonymously. So we say the Spirit of Christ, God the Holy Spirit. Because no one can know Christ apart from the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And yet we say that no one can call Christ Lord unless the Spirit of God dwells within him. That is the Spirit of the Father. In speaking to the woman at the well, we sang the hymn there, Fill my cup, Lord. He said, Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, for God is spirit. And he's, he's referring to God the Father, but also... God the Holy Spirit, because the three are one. But there are some groups who 
who actually deny the Father and the Spirit, and they say, you know, Jesus, only Jesus. No. Yes, he is the Savior. And without him, no one can be saved. But God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who comes to live and dwell within our lives. And then the assurance of salvation. And he speaks of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. And here's the wonderful part about it. Even when we are not faithful, God is faithful. God is faithful. He has always been faithful. He is faithful. And he will always be faithful. Amen? Now I want to read a quote uh, written by a theologian by the name of John Hockman. While ancient kings carved stone statues in their images to remind their subjects of their greatness, magnificence, and authority, listen here. God created living human beings in his image, breathing into them an infinite sense of value. Stop for a moment. Let that sink in. Now, I have been to Washington, D.C., and I know some of you have been there. There are all these different statues and memorials and such to all of these great leaders, and, and, and they were and are great, great leaders. But God created us in his image. And he gave us tremendous potential. And he wants us to realize that potential. Amen? And so let's begin reading. Here in the first chapter in the epistle of John, beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
As we look into your holy word, we pray that you will be our teacher. Through God the Holy Spirit, illuminating our understanding to the glory and to the honor of the Lord Jesus and to the blessing of your people. Speak to us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so notice that he, that uh, John, the apostle, says, that which was from the beginning. So the question is, what beginning is he talking about? And you know, various Bible scholars, they go back and forth. Well, is he referring to the beginning, beginning? That is the beginning of, of time as we know it, creation, etc. Or is he referring to the beginning of the message, the proclaiming of the gospel? So as we look at this, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Well, who was it that he saw, that they saw with their eyes? It was the Lord Jesus. And so he, he's referring to the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus came, and what did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen? But, of course... We know that our Lord was there at the beginning because he is God the Creator, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, all present at the beginning, at creation. For it was through the Son that the Father brought the world into existence. So the word over in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, and we... we stated it many times. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By Him were all things made. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. And then down in the 14th verse, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen? He's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel, the fulfillment of all of those prophecies that you read in the Old Testament regarding the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would send his Messiah, the Anointed One, to deliver his people Israel and the entire human race to give everyone the opportunity to be forgiven of their sin and to receive the gift of eternal life. Now notice, he says, heard, seen, touched. They were with Jesus. And the Apostle Peter also says, now you need to understand that that what we're sharing with, with you and what we're preaching and teaching, these aren't fables. These aren't, these aren't stories that we've made up. These are things that we actually experienced having lived together with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are things that we, we saw with our own eyes, we heard with our ears, and we participated in with our own hands and our own lives. They lodged with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. 
They heard Jesus pray. They saw Jesus heal people, exercising demons out of people. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead. They also were there when the Pharisees and the religious leaders would put Jesus on trial and, and attempt to trick him with questions, etc. And then, of course, when he was arrested and hauled off, they were eyewitnesses. And notice this gift of eternal life is, is from the Father. It's a gift given to us by God the Father, but made possible through the Son. As we mentioned earlier, you can't have eternal life without the Son. And you can't have the Father without the Son. And you can't have the Son without the Father. Nor can you have the Son or the Father without God the Holy Spirit. It is God the Holy Spirit who woos. That's, a, that's an old term, to woo, right? To court, if you will. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws the heart. As the message is proclaimed, and even as we read the word, it is God the Holy Spirit who touches the heart, the human heart, deep within the core of one's being. It comes from the Latin, corazón, for the, for the heart, or core, right? Or in French, coeur, um, the core. We talk about the core of an apple. That which makes you uniquely you, your innermost being, God the Holy Spirit is able to touch that part of our lives and then transform us. But he comes, it's a gift from the Father through Christ the Son. But moving on, notice that he also says, we declare to you. To declare is to preach. It's to share. It's to speak. It's to write. To communicate what they experienced in their life with Christ. And there's a purpose. A purpose. The letter is written to Christians to define the special privileged relationship that we have with God. We have a, a privileged position. You are a privileged, we are privileged people. Oh, we are privileged. God knows, he knows our name. He knows our address. <laughs> All right, we get a little personal. He, he, he knows the, our bank account, you know. He knows every thought that passes through us, through our minds. And here's the, you know, beyond our understanding. He knows every thought that has ever passed through our minds even before we were born, when we were in our mother's womb, until the time that we leave this life. He knows it all. He knows everything about everyone that has ever existed or who will ever exist. So when we say God is beyond finding out, that's because God is beyond finding out. That is not a cop-out. 
And we have a privileged relationship with him, and he knows each one of us. He says, we're declaring this, or we're sharing this information, because we have a relationship as fellow Christians. And our fellowship, our relationship, is with God the Father, and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, made possible by God the Holy Spirit. We really are family. We really are family. I, I heard, um, I believe her name is uh, Yael Exine, and she, she um, I think she's the, the founder or one of the directors of the, um, uh, the Fellowship of Christians and Jews, I believe that's the organization, and she was telling a, a story she said that over in Israel, that if, if, if a child or a person needs something, then they can ask anyone, whether they're walking on the street or in a mall or, or wherever the case is, because they are all family. And they understand that family always helps family. Stop for a moment and, and think about that. We are all family. We are in the family of God. We have this, this, this fellowship that unites us. We are united in Christ. And Jesus said, as, as I am one with the Father, speaking of himself, he prayed that we would be one with him. that your joy may be full. Now, I tell you, you turn on the TV these days and listen to the news, what do you hear? You hear joy? <laughs> uh, maybe if you turn to your, you know, your, your, to your football team and they're winning, okay? You hear all kinds of joy. <laughs> or your baseball team or your hockey team, whatever the case might be. But boy, you turn on the news and what, Nothing but division. Nothing but division. Tremendous amounts of lies. Lies, lies, lies. My son was telling me last night about this particular company, I forget, it's one of these big pharm pharmaceutical companies that um, they developed a product, and of course, you know, the politicians, all the shareholders, etc. but they developed this, this drug and they knew that the drug was dangerous and was responsible for something like 400,000 deaths. An American company. And um, the, um, the FBI was investigating it. And the person in charge at that time, you've probably heard the name James Comey, right? So he, he, he squashed it. Then after he was fired, it was brought back up come to find out, yeah, this company was in fact guilty. And the government slapped him with a $2 billion fine. A lot of money that they had to pay out to families of the victims. But none of the politicians and none of the shareholders or those of the scientists or the doctors, etc., none of them went to jail. Well, because the company paid the fines. And you wonder how the 
right? When they go to Congress and they get paid $175,000 a year, and they're there for four years, but oh my goodness, when they leave office, they, you know, they're worth 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars. Hmm. And there was somebody calling them out on that, and that's why they hated him so much. Well, we've heard from him. This is the message. And what is the message? It's a divine message. The message is about truth. Truth. God's people are to be about truth. Not about being popular or what makes somebody feel good. You know, there are a lot of churches that are they're all about feeling good. So when you show up there, you know, you're, you're feeling good now. And I've said this before, I'd rather feel good than to feel badly. Right? I'd, ra I'd rather be, and I'd rather, certainly would rather be healthy as opposed to being sick. But you know, when, when we're ill and we go to the doctor and the doctor takes an examination and he says, well, you have this condition and this is what we're going to have to do. I have a choice, don't I? I have a choice to, to heed the doctor's instructions or to reject them, ignore them. When we come to church and when we study God's holy word, we also have a choice. We have a choice every day. Every single day. He says, this message we heard from him, it's a divine message. It's God's message. God is light. God is light. In other words, he's perfect. He's holy. He is truth. And God's children are to be about truth. Now, you know that over in the Gospel of John, John writes that there were many things that Jesus taught and said and did that we don't have room to write about. You find that in the 21st chapter, chapter uh, verse 25. He says, there were many other things that Jesus did that we, we haven't written about. But these things have been written so that you may believe and know that he is the Son of God. And in him is no darkness at all. His divine nature, God is without sin. Jesus is perfect. God is perfect. He is light. Now, light. What is the condition of your relationship with Jesus? You see, God is light. And one of the things about light is light reveals all of the imperfections, doesn't it? Now, how many of you have ever stubbed your toe in the dark? Okay. Yeah. Maybe you, you know, maybe you went headlong, you tripped and you fell, and you broke something. Where if the light were on, that would not have happened. Yes or no? Yeah. Or have you ever, you know, I used to um, wash our cars at night because, you know, then 
you could get in and, and, the, and the car washes weren't crowded with all kinds of people and that's what so I would go in at night and then then in the morning you know you walk by and you look at the car and all the spots that I missed <laughs> but but the light reveals the imperfections you see God is light now Jesus put it this way those whose deeds are evil will not come to the light and why not because if they come to the light their deeds will be made known but God is light now here's the question walking in darkness he says if if you walk in darkness then how can you say you have fellowship with the father so what is this walking in darkness Walking in darkness is, is, is living a life of sin. But let me also very quickly mention this. We are all sinners. We're all guilty. And never once make the mistake of thinking that you are without sin. You've heard the story of the guy, he's praying, and he, and he says, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm having a... I'm having a pretty good day so far. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't gotten angry, I haven't cussed anybody out, you know, I haven't uh, broken the speed limit, I haven't uh, broken any other uh, traffic violations, you know, and uh, uh, I haven't had any bad thoughts, and uh, well, I'm, I'm having a pretty good day. But now I gotta get out of bed and I have to start the day. <laughs> <laughs> You see, we're all guilty. But here's the wonderful thing, and we talked about this a little bit in, in Sunday school. Walking in the light, if we come to the light, we come to the light, that is, we spend time alone with God. Well, what does God do in his spirit? His light reveals to us those things that are not right in our lives, in our heart, in our mind, in our walk with him. And then, you see, now we're going we're gonna to pass over C and go to, to D here. If we acknowledge and confess those sins as God brings them to our, our mind and to our heart, then he's faithful to forgive and cleanse us. But you need to also understand that we have this privileged position. We are eternally forgiven. But God, God wants us to be filled with his joy. And what is it that robs the Christian of the joy of God in their life? The presence of sin. Sin robs us of joy. Sin robs us of power. Sin makes us unusable in the sense that the sin is hanging over us because then we're filled with guilt and we become weak. And we're to be the mighty army of the Lord taking the message of the gospel. Now you say, well, now you're doing some double talking because you say we're, we're, we're all sinners. And we're, yes, but when we come to the Lord and we confess our sin, he cleanses us. Now, we're continuously cleansed by him in his presence. He wants to do that work and remove that guilt. You know, some people are held captive 
by their past. What they did, what others did to them, whatever the case might be, and they live in the past and they're held captive by them. The Lord Jesus said, if I make you free, you shall be free indeed. Did he say that? He wants us to live a life of freedom. We are free in him. But that doesn't mean without responsibility. We have a privileged life. Now, we can we go up to sea here, and we're almost done. Be self-deceived. Well, I'm pretty good, you know. I, like that guy laid, still laying in the bed. He hadn't even gotten out of bed yet. The Bible says that he who despises the word of God, and that's Proverbs 13, 13, will be destroyed. Be destroyed by his own choices. But we move up to Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then Psalm 119 and verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We come to the light and we discover what's wrong with our lives. And then we have to be willing to admit it, to acknowledge it and confess it. And give it to God. Forsake it. And allow God to fill us with his joy. That joy that comes from being forgiven and knowing that you're forgiven. And then being used by him to touch the light and to bring comfort to someone else. God is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us. Well, we're going to sing a hymn of, of invitation. And as we study this, this, this book of First John, and this was just the, the introduction to this, to this book, we're going to look at all of those things that, that we listed, but the most important thing to look at today is to look at your life. What is the condition of your relationship with him? Let's stand, please. Do you know that when you die, you're going to be with the Lord in heaven, that you're going to live with him forever? Do you know that you're forgiven? The joy that comes from being forgiven, God wants everyone to experience that. So as we sing, you make your commitment, maybe to join this church, you come forward and share that with us. To accept Christ as your Savior, you come forward as we sing. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.